Well, the holidays are upon us, whether we're ready for them or not. Thanksgiving is over and we're full into the Christmas season. And with the holidays comes traditions. We all have them with our family and our friends, things that we do this time of year, each year. Things from getting some hot chocolate and watching those ridiculous Hallmark movies, from baking cookies with our grandchildren and setting up the tree and going out and looking at the lights. The holiday is full of traditions. And in my house growing up and has continued to this very day, we have one tradition that my mom does every single year. Around Christmas Eve, she hands us this present, which is always filled with Christmas pajamas. And they are always matching. All of us are, are matching in these, who knows what they're gonna look like, pajamas. And the whole purpose of these pajamas is so that we as a family, as our family grows, we take a picture. A picture that is worthy of a frame, a, a picture that we can always remember. And so, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I had a chance to just kind of go on Facebook and, and reminisce to look back at some of the best pictures we've taken in our Christmas pajamas, and I thought I'd share some with you. Because here's the thing about a picture, is you often see the smiles, you see the highlight on Instagram, but what you often don't see is what it took to get to that moment. So let's go back to 2012, right? Our Christmas pajamas, you'll notice something about my family is there is no children right now. It's just some of us, my family, my brothers, and my wife, and their wives, and man, oh, to be 20 again. My skin's tight. I think you could almost see abs there that have long been gone. <laughs> Everybody's smiling. It looks good. But what you don't see in this picture is the fight that broke out beforehand. Take a look. As you know, my brothers are always causing trouble, and I am just simply defending myself here, okay? So now you, you fast forward to 2017 where you will notice my family has changed. Now we have grandchildren, we have kids everywhere, everybody's married, mom and dad actually made the picture this year. And you know, when you have kids and you're trying to take a picture how hard it is to get them to smile, I have bribed them with candy, money, and you name it, and sometimes it doesn't work. You're laughing because you know. But we see the beautiful picture, but then we see what happens beforehand. There's a kid upside down. Joelle is singing Frozen like she normally does. I'm not sure what I am doing and what everybody else is doing. And I don't know if you noticed, there's a pregnant lady right in the middle back holding her belly. It's wild and it's crazy, but every once in a while, you'll look back at your pictures and you'll wonder, you'll find a year where you're like, why don't we have a frameable picture? Why, where is the picture that we hung on the wall? Where's the picture that we all remember? And you'll realize when you look at the outtakes that there were some certain outtakes that were so bad that you just gave up hope of getting a good picture. Mom, I apologize for this. This is what this looks like. As you can see, again, there's the evidence that my brothers were not good guys. I am innocent over there. Do you notice that? And what I love about pictures is we look back, and I would encourage you, man, during the holiday season, it's a fun time to just go on Facebook, go on you, you, wherever you keep your pictures and just look back. And what I love about pictures is it gives us insight into where we've been and where our family has come. 
We get to see, man, us as not married to us with a bunch of kids. It's, it's always fun to look back and see where your family has come and where you are now. And we're starting a series this morning called Picture Perfect Family, where we're actually going to do that with Jesus. We're going to look at his lineage, his family. We're going to look at pictures of people and where they came from. And what's crazy about origins is we all love an origin story. I mean, you think about the movies that have been released uh, recently. You got X-Men Origins, or you got the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit of the origin of where that came. We love the Olympics and the story of the Olympian who's doing well to see where he came from and what took him to where he was. We love origin stories. And in, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus' line, his origin story, but it's not going to be what you're expecting. You, you think about Jesus, right? The perfect, spotless lamb of God, the savior of the world. You would expect his family to look and resemble him, but the truth is, is even Jesus' family was pretty jacked up. I would bet Jesus' family will actually make you feel really good about your family. And as you study the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, you'll notice a couple things that stand out in his in his lineage. The first one is that it included women. Now in our culture, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. But in Jesus's culture where it was a man dominated society and everything was about keeping the line in the name of men around, it was radical and scandalous for Jesus to include women in his lineage. In fact, these women are who we're gonna study over the next four weeks. But these weren't just you know, women who had pretty stories. They were actually, their stories were really messy. Their stories were full of grit and real life public scandal, intrigue, abuse, homelessness, abandonment, deceit, and ultimately women who would take life into their own hands. And what's amazing about Jesus' lineage is as messy as it was, the product was perfection. God used imperfect people to bring about perfection. His name was Jesus, and he's the savior of the world. And here's what we're gonna find as we begin this journey together, as we dive into this series, you're gonna discover really fast that these women's stories were messy, but the outcome was perfection. Their stories were not pretty to look at, but the product was Jesus, the savior of the world. And we're introduced in Matthew chapter one to the first lady that we're gonna be studying. It says this, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. The first woman we're gonna study, her name is Rahab, and you'll notice it to be interesting is she's actually not chronologically the first woman listed in Jesus' lineage. That woman would be named Tamar. But because it's parent-child dedication, we thought it would probably be wise to look at Tamar's life next because Tamar's life is pretty dramatic. In fact, I would bet you will be surprised the things that we learn and discover next week that the Bible actually says. If you like The Bachelorette, if you like reality TV, if you like the, I don't know, The Housewives of LA, I think it's called, you will love Tamar's story. 
I would encourage you to come back next week, but we're going to study Rahab this morning, and we discover her story in Joshua chapter 2. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to kind of plant ourselves right here this morning, so I'd encourage you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, man, take one of the ones we provide. It's going to be on page 170. And as you make your way there, I just want to quickly welcome you to Northridge Church. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming this weekend. And to all the parents who dedicated their children, who made the commitment to say, hey, I'm going to be an example to lead my kids to Jesus. I want to say congratulations and thank you for making that bold statement. And to all the family and friends that are here supporting them, welcome to Northridge Church. To our Northridgers and all of our guests here this morning, man, welcome and good morning. We're one church in four locations. And so I want to welcome Webster and Greece, Henrietta Arondacoy, and our online community as well. And man, today we're going to unpack a woman's story that is pretty unique. And we pick it up in Joshua chapter 2 in verse 1. It kind of sets the scene and the context for Rahab's story. It says this, then Joshua son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now I want to give you a little context of what's taking place because it will help us make sense of Rahab's story. We're introduced to the leader of the nation of Israel. His name is Joshua. Now, before Joshua, if you go back just a a couple years, you you may have heard of a man named Moses. Moses was the guy responsible for leading the the, the nation of Israel out of slavery through the power of God. The sea was separated and it led them into their freedom. And they're wandering now, trying to find the promised land. Moses dies, and now Joshua takes over the mantle of leadership for Moses, and the nation of Israel is chasing down the land that God had promised them. And so we pick up the story here. They get to the region of Jericho. They get to the city of Jericho, which is a fortified city with impenetrable walls. And so Joshua decides, through God's wisdom, to send two spies into the city to find a military advantage, to find some form of weakness in the walls that would give them an advantage to win this war. And when he sends the two spies in, we pick up Rahab's story. It says, so they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So here we're introduced to one of Jesus' family members. And how is she described in the Bible? As a prostitute. You see, Rahab's job was selling her and other people's bodies for a living. It's how she gained influence. It's how she gained power, was she used and took advantage of people through sexual activity. She was a prostitute. That's who she was. That was Jesus' family. And we're just getting started. Rahab, and it's interesting, I I always find when I read this story, I always ask the question, like, why would these two spies, remember, this is the nation of God, Israel, Joshua sends two spies, two trusted men, into Jericho, and where do they find themselves but with a prostitute? It doesn't seem to make sense to me, but I would actually argue it was a really good decision, because Rahab was really good at keeping secrets, It was her whole line of work. Her job was to keep secrets from certain parties that were involved that their spouses or their significant others wouldn't find out. She was a master at keeping secrets. It was her whole line of profession. 
And so these spies go to this prostitute named Rahab, and the king of Jericho finds out. Verse 2, it says, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the land. And so the king figures this out, that the spies have gone to Rahab, and he sends this message to Rahab. He says, hey, I know there's spies there with you. Send them to me. Now, it's interesting that the king knew Rahab. I'm sure they did business together, if you know what I'm saying. Rahab had built a reputation in a business that gave her a lot of influence. It actually gave her a direct line to the king. So she's a pretty powerful woman. She holds some secrets, probably from some really powerful men. And so the king says, hey, I know there's spies in there. Give them to me. She responds, verse four, it says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly and you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on her roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. And so here Rahab decides to betray her country and her king. And she says, hey, they came to me, but I let them go. If you hurry, you can catch up with them. And they're hiding on her roof. And I I think we have to kind of pause and camp out here because I I think it's easy for us to read this story and and miss out on the gravity of what's taking place right here in this moment. Do you know how bold and how courageous this was for Rahab to say? I mean, do, do, do you understand the scene of what's going on here? Here Rahab is betraying her king She grew up in this region. This was her home. This is all she knew. She built a business up. She had influence. She had power. And right here, she lays it all on the line. For who? For enemy spies? For guys she just met from Israel? I mean, you you have no clue the courage that she takes because guess what? If, If they were to find the spies in her roof, everything that Rahab had lived for and built was gone. What a courageous move. And you got to ask the question, why would she do it? Why in the world would this woman who just met these spies lay her life on the line for them? Verse 8 gives us an indication. It says this, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Check this out. He says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And here Rahab is, she gives us us an indication of what's happening in our heart. And it's solely based on the rumors of God, God's reputation. She says, hey, I've heard. I've heard the stories from other people that your God is capable of parting a sea and watching people walk on dry land. I've heard how powerful your God is, that he's wiped out the Amorites altogether. And those rumors of God caused Rahab to believe in that God. 
And because of her belief in that God, she makes this bold decision to hide these spies and betray her king. And so she makes a deal with these spies. Verse 12, it says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so Rahab, in in this genius way, makes this plan with these two spies. She says, hey, I get it. I know God's gonna deliver you our city. I don't care how fortified it is. Your God is powerful. And so when that happens, please save my life. My life for your life. And so she strikes this deal that she'll be saved. And and they walk through the next verses, walk through the details of the plan that she has to hang a scarlet cord from her window. And everybody that she wants in her family to be saved, she has to gather them up and they have to be in the house at the time the walls come crumbling down. And so Rahab strikes this deal and she sends the spies away. It says, so she sent them away and they departed. And she tied a scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went to the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. So Rahab releases the spies They listen to her instructions and they get back to their leader, Joshua, and they tell him everything. And we we see Rahab's story and you see her actions and what she does and I, I think there's really one word that just screams out. It's the word faith. I find it interesting that here she is, she's a Canaanite woman. She's from an area of of the region that is far from God, worships all kinds of idols, has nothing to do with the one true God, and yet here we are today learning what faith is from this woman. Because her life just displays faith for all of us as Christians to see and to follow. And the first thing that she shows us is that faith isn't seeing, but it's believing like you have. Faith is is not about seeing the work of God, but it's trusting that that work actually took place, and that was Tamar's life. This is mind-blowing to me. Rahab had never once firsthand seen a miracle of God. She's heard the stories of how powerful God was. She's heard the stories of what he's done, but she never saw it with her own eyes, but yet she still believed that that God was real, even though she never saw him really do anything. You wanna talk about faith, man. That's amazing, and in Hebrews chapter 11, it actually defines what faith is, and you see Rahab all here. Hebrews chapter 11 says, now faith is confidence, and what we hope for, what we dream for, what we long for. So it's this confidence, but not just confidence, but it's also this assurance about what we do not see. That was Rahab. She didn't see God do really anything, but yet she believed like she saw him do everything. And when you think about Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of called the faith chapter, where it defines what faith is, and then it gives this list of men and women who were heroes of the faith. You think of the nation of Israel, and the author of Hebrews here, he goes on this list of saying, here's some people who just had extraordinary faith. And you think of all the stories in the Bible, guess who made the list? 
Oh yeah, a prostitute named Rahab. Look what it says in verse 31. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab. I I love this about the Bible is only the Bible can take those two words, faith and prostitute, and bring them together. Because that's the amazing thing about God and his message to us is it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, God is capable of changing and molding you and and, and allowing you to live by faith. That's what he did with Rahab. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab had faith. And her faith wasn't the type of faith that saw everything, but it believed in everything. But it didn't stop there. You see, many of us, we claim faith. And and really, that's where our journey with Jesus begins, when we place our faith and trust in him. But if our faith just stops at belief, it's really no good. It's not even really faith at all. But faith starts with belief, but then it results in action. That's the process of faith. And we see it lived out in, in, in Rahab's story is she didn't just claim to believe in God and live in a different manner. She, she could have easily said, oh, I believe in God, but I'm gonna turn these spies in. No, her belief in God changed everything about her life. And James, the brother of Jesus, he kind of speaks to this topic. He says this in chapter two. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's useless. It's a waste of your time. Here's what James is saying. If you claim to be, believe in God and, and you don't, that belief in God doesn't change who you are, that's not faith. That's dead faith. Let's not even call that faith. And when you look at Rahab's life, look at how much her belief in God changed her. Look how it impacted her life. She was willing to betray her king and her country, her hometown, everybody who lived in it. She was willing to put her job, her career, everything she built on the line because of her faith in God. You want to talk about a change? Here it is. And that's why when James is writing on the topic of faith, guess who comes to his mind? Oh yeah, that prostitute named Rahab. Verse 25, he says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So if you're here this morning and you want a faith, you want a faith that pleases God, let me tell you, you don't have to look any farther than the prostitute named Rahab for inspiration. Because her faith wasn't just this form of head knowledge that she was really smart about who God was. No, her faith was belief that led to action, to change in the way she thought and the way she lived. It was just simple obedience of doing what God called her to. James continues, he says this in verse 26, he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds, without action, without works is dead. So I'd ask you this today, Christians, those of you who place your faith and trust in Jesus, he's your forgiver and he's your leader, does your faith have actions? Do you just claim to believe in God and really nothing has changed about your life? If, if you just have head knowledge of who God is and what he did for you, and that belief, that knowledge hasn't changed the way you live, James actually says you're way behind a prostitute named Rahab. That your faith is lifeless and worthless compared to this woman. And here's what's crazy about Rahab. What did she really know about God? Not much. 
She heard the stories that he was capable of separating a sea. She, she knew that he was powerful, and she knew the nation of God was waiting outside of Jericho, but that was kind of the extent of what she knew about God, but yet she's given as an example in the word of God about what true faith looks like. And her life challenges me. It challenged me to look in the areas of my life where I claim to believe in God, and it doesn't change. That belief doesn't change my actions. And I I came up with a list where I think a lot of Christians live this way, how we miss the mark with faith that has works or action, because we say things like this. We say, hey, I, I know God provides. I believe God provides, but I won't trust him enough with my money. We say things like this, you know what, I believe God protects, but yet I will constantly live in worry and be anxious for my kids. We say things like, hey, I know God is capable, I believe God is capable of saving my neighbor, my coworker, but I'm just too embarrassed to invite them to church. We say things like, I believe God forgives, but I'm just too prideful to share my sin struggle. Areas in our, life as, in our lives as Christians where we claim belief in God. And that belief doesn't change anything about us. We still live the same way in fear, living in, with anxious and worry about our kids, not trusting God with our money or our struggle. Rahab was so much different than that. Her belief changed everything about her. Her trust in God changed the way she lived. You think about that word change, my question for me and for you today is how should her story change my life and how should it change your life? And I wanna give you three ways. The first is for those of you who profess faith in Jesus Christ. You call yourself a disciple, a Christian, a follower of Christ. And here's what I would challenge you to do today is to trust in the promises of God. What I love about God is if he promises something, it will come to fruition. You can always bank on the promises of God. Now that doesn't mean it's gonna happen the way you expect it or the way you want it, but when God says he will do something, you can bank that he will do it. And you see this lived out, not in Rahab, but actually the spies who came to visit Rahab. Because for a second, think about this. Think about how bold and courageous these spies were actually putting their lives hiding in a roof of an enemy woman who was a prostitute. Of all the people you probably shouldn't trust in life, a prostitute might be one of them. So why would they? Why would these spies trust Rahab? Actually, I don't think these these men were trusting Rahab at all. I think they were banking on the promises of God. You see, God promised them the land of promise. He knew, they knew he was delivering them to it, and so they banked on God's promise, and they, they saw it fulfilled through this woman named Rahab. And for us as Christians today, we have to learn that no matter what life brings us, we gotta bank and trust in the faithfulness of God, that when he says he'll provide for you, when he will protect you, he will do it. And we have to look back in our past oftentimes to see how God has been faithful then, and it reminds us that he'll continue to be faithful now. We trust in the promises of God. But maybe you're here today, and you know what? You don't know Jesus. You're here maybe this morning trying to figure it out. You've got questions, you have doubts. Or maybe you're here today just because of parent-child dedication. You normally don't ever go into a church facility, you try to stay away from them, but for some reason you couldn't say no to your niece or your nephew or their parents and you're here this morning. And man, I'm glad you're here and here's what I would challenge you to do if you don't believe in Jesus. 
I challenge you to trust in the rumors of God. What's amazing to me about Rahab's story is all she knew about God was things that people told her about God. The rumors, his reputation had spread, and for Rahab, that was enough to transfer her heart and her belief in God. And maybe you're here today at church because you've heard rumors of God through your friends, through a coworker, through the person who invited you today. You've heard rumors that God is good, that God is gracious, that he cares for you, that he brings you hope, he can change your future. You hear all these rumors of God and you're wondering, is it true? And maybe today the rumors are enough for you to do what Rahab did, to place your trust in him. But maybe today rumors aren't enough for you. I would challenge you to chase down those rumors and you will actually get to experience the goodness of God because he's faithful. So trust in the rumors, but for all of us, I think Rahab's story reminds us that we can't allow our past to define our future. We can't allow the things that we have done in our past to determine where God wants to take us. Think about Rahab for a second. She had a past. Look at her profession. She sold her body and other people's bodies for a profit. She probably abused people, hurt people's feelings, broke marriages. There were probably a lot of people who didn't like Rahab. Her past is full of embarrassing moments of sin. There's probably moments in her life that she wishes she could go back and delete. Pretend like they don't exist. And think about this. God's getting ready to bring her into the nation of Israel. God's chosen nation. Can you imagine what's swirling around in her head? Can you imagine the shame that she's carrying, wondering if God's people will actually accept a prostitute? Worse than that, would God actually accept someone with a past like Rahab? And I think for a lot of us today, our past is one of the biggest barriers between us and God. Because we know what's there, and I don't care who you are today, whether you think you're good or not, We all have a past. We all have a past full of secrets. We all have a past of things, of of, of regret, things that we wish we didn't do, places we wish we didn't go, choices we wish we didn't make. And for a lot of you, your past is actually the very thing keeping you from the future God wants for you. You wonder, will God ever accept me? You wonder, will the church, the people of God, ever look at me like I'm part of their family? And this is what I love about the God I serve, is that God has this ability, and I'm not even sure humans have this ability, but God has this ability to look past all of your sin, to look past all of your regrets, to look past all of, all of your mess ups, and to look at you and point you to your future. He has this ability, and I think we have to learn from his ability, and instead of trying to pretend like our past doesn't exist, some of us, we just want to avoid our past because it's so bad that we just, we just kind of put a cloak over and say, hi, that, that wasn't me. But I actually believe our past can leverage us to our future. I believe our past, we look at our past and we say, hey, I don't ever want to go back there. I don't ever want to be like that again. And what that does is it leverages me to follow Jesus to the future he has for you. Rahab had a past, but God gave her a future. But I think the biggest thing that we see in this story And really what we're gonna see throughout these four weeks of this series 
is that God gives hope for the hopeless. God, in the midst of hopeless situations, offers hope to all of us. And what's, what's crazy about this story is you actually get to see this hope in the least likely place. The hope that God gives Rahab is actually found in the first verse that I read to you about her story. Let me read it to you again. Joshua chapter two, verse one, it says this. Then Joshua sent son of Nun, then Joshua son of Nun secretly sent two spies. Now, most of us, when we read this story, we think Joshua is acting out of a military strategy. Why would Joshua send two spies? Well, because he needed an advantage. Jericho was a fortified city. There was no way they were gonna enter into that city without some form of weakness. So he sent spies into the city to find that weakness. Show me where the weak spot is so we can attack it and conquer this city. And that's what most of us believe. It's part of strategy. Can I tell you something today? Our God doesn't need a military strategy. The truth is, is nothing that these spies brought back to Joshua would give him an advantage at all. You wanna know how they conquered the city of Jericho? They marched around it seven times and shouted. Wait a second. So then why would God send two spies into Jericho? I'll tell you why. Because he saw a woman, a prostitute who was hopeless and he sent those two spies to give her hope. God sent two spies into that city to pull this prostitute out of darkness and into the light. She was in a hopeless situation and God was getting ready to give her hope. Look how her story ends. Joshua chapter six, it says this, Joshua said to the two men, this is after the walls of the city have fallen, who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house. And look at this verbiage. He says, and bring her out. Bring her out of prostitution. Bring her out of destruction. Bring her out of all the ways in her past that she can't conquer. And today I'm gonna give her a future. And all who belong to her in accordance with your, uh, your oath to her. So the young woman, so the young man who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and her sister, all who belonged to her. They brought out the entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. You know why I love this story on parent-child dedication? Because parents, you listen to me. You can change the future of a generation by living a godly life full of faith. Your kids need that, parents. And Rahab, through her faith in a God she never saw do anything, changed a generation of her family. Not just a generation of a family, but your family and my family today. Because through this woman, God brought about perfection. His name was Jesus. And her story was hopeless. And guess what? It reminds me so much of my story and all of our stories. Because in the midst of my sin and your sin, the Bible says we're all sinners and we've fallen short of God's standard. And what sin does is it separates me from a God who I desperately need. And I can try as much as I want to climb to God, to be good enough, but I always fall short. But you know what God did? He didn't send two spies. He sent his one and only son, Jesus. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's about hope. And we, we don't celebrate Christmas because Jesus came. 
We celebrate Christmas because what Jesus came to do. He came in the midst of my sin and my hopelessness and your hopelessness to give up his one and only son in in a baby form, Jesus incarnate. And that baby came to die on a cross and be resurrected three days later. So you want to know what? So I didn't have to sit in my darkness and in my past and in my hopelessness. But God, through his son, pulled me out and he gave me a future and he offers it to you today. If we just like Rahab believe to make that transition in our heart where we say, yes, God, I've heard about you. I've heard the rumors that you're good and you're gracious, and today I wanna know it's true, so I'm giving you my life. Christmas is all about hope. So throughout this series, I'm gonna ask you this question. Do you have it? No matter what life brings you, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, do you have hope to cling to? Because if you don't, you don't fully understand Christmas. Let's pray together. God, thanks for Rahab and her example. God, thank you that I don't have to see your goodness to know that you are good. God, thank you that I don't have to feel your presence to know you're there. And God, help us in the midst of maybe not even being able to see, to have belief that changes the way we live. That is who Rahab was. God, I pray for that person today who doesn't have hope this Christmas. I pray today that you would draw them to yourself, that you would reveal that you are the hope of the world, Jesus. God, we pray that you would challenge us today and as we walk out of these doors, we would look differently. In Jesus' name, amen.